And welcome to the podcast of Tech.eu, Europe's premier technology industry information portal and market intelligence platform. I am your host, Andre Degler, reporting from Amsterdam. So as we said last week, Natalie and I are not around now to record a normal episode of the podcast, but of course, I still didn't want to leave you with nothing to listen to. So here's the solution. I would like to share a really interesting conversation that I had recently with uh, Sasha Michaud, the co-founder of the on-demand delivery startup Glovo. Uh, we talked about uh, dark supermarkets and uh, dark kitchens, uh, about working with freelancers rather than employing the so-called Glovers, and also about why the company needs so much money to keep going. So let's dive straight in. Hello, uh, this is Andre Degler from Tech.eu, catching up today with uh, Sasha Michaud, the co-founder of uh, Glovo, an on-demand uh, delivery company that has uh, made quite a bit of media headlines recently after it raised uh, 150 million euros in uh, funding. Uh, hi, Sasha. Thanks a lot for taking time to talk today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the invitation. Now, before we move towards uh, talking about uh, the company and uh, all your uh, plans and uh, whatever is happening around it, can you talk about yourself first? So what did you do before uh, Glovo and how did it uh, all uh, come together that you co-founded it? Yeah, I mean, I've been in the tech industry pretty much since uh, the late 90s, you know, really the beginning of, of the internet, especially in Europe. And I founded a company that, that did quite well. It was It was an online portal. Um, in Spanish speaking, um, I launched it out of Barcelona and we grew very quickly and we married while well, we sold to our competitor in, uh, 1999, which was a company that floated on the NASDAQ. Um, so I've been pretty much in the tech space for many years now, more than I'd like to mention. And I was, um, before Glovo, I was, um, nine years in the gaming industry. I was working with a company that, that also grew very quickly and, and also floated on, on the London Stock Exchange called Betfair, which is one of the leading um, gaming gambling companies in the world. Now I think it's the largest company in the world that's, that's on the stock market. And I was there for nine years, which is a great, great experience, a great industry. Um, you learn very quickly. It's a lot of competitors. So it's, um, and I want to set up a, a company which, you know, could bring you anything on demand. Very similar to what was happening with ride sharing at the time. Uber was fairly young in those days. And, and you could see that, you know, people could suddenly have everything in their smartphone. So, um, I really wanted to do something related with bringing things and moving things within the city. Um, I met my partner at the end of 2014, um, Oscar, who had just come back from the US and he's, he, you know, he, he had the same vision. And, um, I decided, you know, to join the project and do it together. And January 2015, um, we set up the company and launched the first version of the app, which is virtually MVP at the end because we did, built it very quickly, um, in March 2015 in Barcelona. Nice. So, and uh, what is it that you actually end up delivering? What do people want delivered mostly? Well, pretty much anything, um, that, and that's really the the focus of of the of the app. You know that you will pick up and deliver anything. You know, within a very short period of time, generally around thirty thirty five minutes is the is the standard. So it can be anything from obviously restaurant food, which is our biggest category. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people are used to ordering food, receiving it at home or in the office. For many years, in fact, before the internet, even, you know, people could phone for a pizza. Yeah. So this is something that educating the market, you didn't have to do with food delivery. What you do have to do is give them a better UX. So user experience in the sense that, hey, 
Um, not only do we have the typical delivery restaurants, we also have the best restaurants in the city. Um, we have the biggest chains, McDonald's, Burger King, KFC, or, or other local chains that are super popular. So we'll bring them any restaurant in the city and mostly their favorite restaurant. And then also you're in complete control of the user. You can see exactly how long the order is going to take. You can follow the rider, which we call them Glovers, our, our delivery guys, we call them Glovers. Um, you can follow him, know exactly where he is and when he's picking up. You can contact him if you want and you can maybe change. So the UX has been improved substantially, which, which actually allows us to go into a market, which is fairly mature, which is restaurant. And then we'll deliver anything else as well. Um, so supermarket is our fastest growing category. Um, they use us for supermarket. Our customers, not in the sense of competing against standard supermarkets, not more convenience more on demand, more last minute, five or six products at the end of the day that, you know, you want to cook something or you're missing an ingredient or you need some water. Um, the way I think millennials are now beginning to shop. Um, we didn't know this, you know, I'm, I haven't come from the restaurant industry. I haven't come from the supermarket industry, but you start, once you get into the space and you start understanding, you, you, you learn things. And, and I read the other day that actually the fastest growing segment of supermarket in the world retail is actually convenience. So we're in a very good spot being digital convenience. And then, you know, pharmacy, gifts, we digitalize local stores. So they just put their products in our app and generally customers will use us for anything. And then we have a magic button in the middle, which is really how Global started, which is you can order anything you want. So not, not only from the partner stores or restaurants we have in the app, but you can actually type in what you want and tell us to which store and our Glovers will go there, buy it for you and bring it to you. So it offers a whole wider range of stores that not, not, don't just have to be you know, in our app and everything. And then we'll pick up things. We're not necessarily buying. You right. can, um, you pick up your, your dry cleaning. We'll pick up your washing. Um, many, so many keys. But <laughs> people forget the keys all over the place. Uh, their children go to school and have forgot the keys. And instead of leaving work to go and open the door for them, they can, we can pick up the keys and, and get a Glover to go there. Um, real estate agents who are showing things and they want to show another property, but they didn't bring the keys. Um, that's been one of the big surprises of global. No, the amount of the amount of keys that that move around the city for different reasons. Yeah, of course. And so, what do you think would be the combined share of uh, groceries and takeaway food in the? Whole it, it really depends on 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 the country and the maturity of the market. Okay. Um, for example, Latin America, which we launched um, about a year and a half ago, supermarket was directly a massive massive percentage of the, the compared to food. In maybe in Southern Europe, I think, you know, the food category between around 70%, the restaurant food category would be a high percentage. And it's obvious people eat three times a day. Um, we're educated in receiving food at home. So that, that makes sense. We have a headache once a month. So it's normal that restaurant food would be much bigger than pharmacy, for example. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you have just uh, uh, raised uh, 150 million euros. And before that, you also raised a lot of money, if I'm not mistaken. So what uh, what do you need the money for? What are you doing with it? Yeah, we've raised close, I think, around uh, 300 million now in total. We're right. our Series D. So that's, you know, we'll do the numbers. It's four rounds plus a seed. Yeah. I mean, what do we need the money for? Well, I think basically to, to continue expanding. Um, you know, we see opportunities in, in regions and cities that we think we still have an opportunity to expand. We want to build the team. Uh, one of the things we don't think we have is, um, enough engineers in the company considering the size. You know, we want to expand. We want to hire, you know, we want to have 300 engineers, hopefully before the end of the year. So we want to invest in human resources, um, build out the team, continue expansion, consolidate other markets. 300 million might sound a lot of money, but, um, you know, we're, we're miles away from, from other companies. Our, com our main competitors in pretty much every region are massive. 
you know, yeah. just companies like yeah. Uber. And we know, you know, they're about to float and the size of the, the market cap of the company and how much investment they receive. So, you know, we're, we're the underdog here. We're doing more with less, which we like that. I think maybe being started up in Spain, Barcelona, where there's less access to, to funds than Silicon Valley or, or London or maybe in Berlin has, has allowed us to really, you know, we had no choice. We just got to do more with less and execute very quickly. So, but it's not just delivery that you're doing, right? Because, uh, for example, you run uh, what's called Super Glovers. So, what what is it? Well, what we've what we've identified is that supermarket. We work with local partners. So, generally, you know, we work with a local partner in a country or in a region or in a city, which will have maybe ten stores in the city, and we'll use them. We'll go pick. You know, we'll go to the nearest store wherever the customer is. So, we optimize right. to be more efficient. But in the end of the day, we had very little access to their stock inventory. Um, each store was run by a different manager or different, often owner sometimes. So basically how one store operated for another was, was better. And we, we saw that actually by centralizing this and creating dark stores, which are supermarkets, which are not open to the public, but just serve our orders, it's m much more optimized. We can integrate tech. We can have visibility of stock. The store receives the order in real time and they have visibility of when the Glover's coming. So basically, It's much more optimized. Deliveries are quicker, so it's a better UX for the customer. Right. There's less mistakes, better UX for the customer. The Glover has to wait less time so he can do more orders per hour. And obviously, higher margin, because we take out the, the human resources piece and the, and the real estate piece from our, from our partners. We work with them in a dark store. We still work with local partners in the sense mm -hmm. that they still supply us the goods, but we just run everything much more optimized. Right. So it's more like a warehouse, really. Absolutely. Dark. It's a... It's a Concept is dark store. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, hy and hyper local. Right. So, you know, we'll, we'll do multiples per city. Um, and depending on the area and, and everything. It's really interesting. And also you run dark kitchens, right? For uh, takeaway food. Similar. That, that actually was launched earlier. Dark kitchens as well. You know, we identified a number of, of problems that we could improve. Um, a good example is, you know, the, the top restaurants, the local heroes, you know, these restaurants that are super popular. Yeah. That's yeah. everyone's favorite. They have the same, Thursday nights, Friday nights, Saturday nights, they're full. Their restaurant is full. Their kitchen has been designed to, to do the tables, not the 30% or sometimes 40% additional orders that we bring to them. So they couldn't, you know, often they were switching off global because they couldn't handle the, okay. the amount of orders. So it allows them to put that elsewhere. It allows them to continue their restaurant business. Um, and we'll give them a turnkey solution, which is basically a, a place where they can cook um, with all the facilities, with the licensing, with the... Um, in a, in a very good location. And they just bring staff, um, ingredients, product and, and their brand. And we'll, we'll deliver it from there. That's one example. Another example would be a restaurant who maybe wanted to move to a different area of the city because he's very popular in one area, but he doesn't have a restaurant in another area where there's a, where there's a high demand. We can move that closer to the customer. So he can suddenly widen his range of, of, of delivery. So we get more, more reach, especially if he has a big brand. And then third, geographical expansion. We've had some restaurants who actually have launched in other cities with pretty much, um, you know, zero investment. They don't have to open a restaurant. They don't have to do the due diligence. No, we'll just give them an, an you know, industrial kitchen that fits their needs. And they'll be able to launch in a city, maybe even test out their brand, and then maybe open a restaurant in the future. Generally, these the, our kitchens are between six to 12 brands in the same space. Mm -hmm. Um, each with their individual exclusive space, but within the same area. And they'll have freezers and everything. But it's it's an interesting concept, and we're expanding. You know, we've launched in Latin America. We're launching, we've launched in other European countries as well. So 
I think there's an there's an opportunity there. Other other spaces are looking at it. You know, the founder of of, of Uber has launched a startup which does exactly exactly yeah. that um, as a. So I think it you know this this whole concept of dark you know dark super dark kitchens um, dark storage I think has huge potential um, and you know we think we want to be part of that right. However, to be entirely frank, I'm not really sure what I feel about uh, the dark kitchens format. Do you think uh, these uh, brands that move to your uh, to your premises, to your dark kitchens, would be able to deliver a consistent uh, quality of food in this case? Because people who order, they order the food that's being prepared in that restaurant, in that kitchen. So what happens when they just kind of move some, hire more staff and then start uh, doing stuff in a different in a different kitchen? Do you think it's the same? No, I, I'd actually, actually I'd, I'd agree with you totally on that. And do you know what happens is the restaurants where the chef in the restaurant is very important, he knows he's very important. He wants to control everything. Generally, doesn't want to do a dark kitchen. Right. So it's almost, it's almost an offer and demand. Basically, the, those restaurants, but other restaurants which are very good, um, have scaled their processes. So it's not so dependent on the head chef. And those are ones who are more likely to move to a, to an industrial kitchen where the processes they they've scaled their business to a more process oriented thing than more than than a key dependent on one person. And, and automatically, I mean, we've had owners of restaurants say, no, no, I want to go to the, I want to move to Madrid. No, a Barcelona restaurant. But the sh- his head chef, which is his partner, says, no way. I'm not going to be in control. <laughs> no. So I agree with you totally. Um, I think, you know, it's not for everyone. I think if you're really dependent on that one unique person and he wants to oversee all process, which is probably not, not for them. And uh, I just uh, read uh, the other week uh, an interview with your co-founder, uh, and uh, he said that it is inevitable that uh, delivery brands will start making their own food, basically having their own uh, dark kitchens. Why do you think it is inevitable and uh, uh, what are you going to do with uh, with this uh, prospect? I think it's inevitable because um, restaurants um, who want who want to expand and scale um, often want to go to regions and they see the best way of going to region is, is doing a partnership with somebody like us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, 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 these, these conversations happen and they're happening and they will happen. Um, and it's a logical step because as I mentioned earlier, if it goes to a macro version of the dark kitchens, which is okay, you can launch in a new city without hardly any investment. Well, you could probably launch in a continent without hardly investment. You don't need to build out 100 restaurants. You can literally come to a platform where we're going to give you a certain guarantee on orders because we have the volume and basically it, it's, it's an opportunity. So I, th- I think it's, it, it's inevitable. I don't know if, if the companies themselves will be doing the food or building the mm-hmm, brands. Mm-hmm. They might well be partnering um, and maybe doing JVs with, with, with restaurant owners or restaurant brands or, or big chains to actually do things together. Um, I think we'll, you know, we'll see how this evolves, but definitely, I mean, I think it's something that's, that's moving that way and supermarkets the same, you know, we have supermarket brands who want to, want to do, um, big projects with us. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be coming a supermarket, but it comes, becomes us more in control of all the processes and all, um, right. So basically you are looking and you're expecting to be more involved in, uh, yeah, this, absolutely. Uh, I think it's in inevitable, in, inevitable once you get to a certain size. Um, it's a hugely attraction, attractive proposition for many partners to actually do something much bigger um, with, you know, with low ba- entry barrier. 
um, to just launch. And also we have the data. You know, that's one thing huge, hugely powerful. You know, we're a data-driven company and, and we have the information. We know what will work. We know what consumers are wanting. So, so we can, we can model that based on, on the needs. Right. So what I have, uh, the latest information I uh, read was that you had uh, dark kitchens operating in uh, Madrid, uh, Barcelona, Buenos Aires, uh, Lima, Milan, and Kyiv, and Superglovers, uh, two in Madrid and two in Barcelona. Is that correct? Yep, Ish? that's correct, yep. Perfect. Why this geography and why don't you do anything uh, around here in Western Europe? Um, so where we operate, really, we look for, Glovo is a city company. At the end, we launch in a country, obviously, but we, we, at the end, we focus on cities. Um, we look for an opportunity where we think we can be leader or, or co-leader of, of the market. Some markets are more saturated or more competitive or more mature, name it what you want. Mm -hmm. And the cost of entry to become leader is very high. So a good example would be Central Europe. We think there's, there's a number of operators, mainly in food. Um, restaurant food only, but, uh, the UK is very competitive right now. The US, you know, has four hugely large operators. Right. So, so I think there's markets where we think we, we try and enter where we have an opportunity and going back to, to what I said, I mean, we're, we're, you know, you could say we're very well funded, but, um, you know, we're, we're, we're very small compared to some of these huge companies we're competing against. So we'll, we'll we're trying to choose our battles and have our feet on the ground and think where we have an opportunity. Right. Is uh, this uh, why you just uh, decided to shut down in Egypt and Chile, just choosing your battles? So Egypt and Chile, uh, I can't really comment on it. I'd love to. Uh, I'm sure we'll comment on it next week. Um, so I can't. Um, but I can talk about Brazil, mm -hmm. which is... Um, so Brazil, uh, just goes to what I said, we, we estimate, you know, we went into Brazil. It's a huge market, fantastic opportunity. Um, and we saw very quickly that to win or to, you know, or to co-win or to be one of the, the, the big players in Brazil, um, we calculated the cost of the investment it would take us to do that. Right. And we thought with this money, we can, we can give a better return on investment elsewhere. You know, I think it's one of those phases which I think is super important, which is um, fail fast, no? You have to know which battles you're going to win. And, and we thought, you know, it's a much better investment getting that and investing it elsewhere. So we decided to to leave Brazil fairly early on, but um, I absolutely think that was a great decision. Um, and you know, I, you know, I'm sure the Brazilian market is fantastic. It's, it's a continent in itself, but it's one of those things that I think it's it's one of those decisions that you you, you think about and will will definitely be happy with that. So, which markets do you see as uh, promising for uh, the company now? Then, well, Latin America is growing incredibly quickly. Um, you know, obviously we we left Brazil, which which is a shame, but Eastern Europe, I think that's that's going to be amazing. We, you know, we have a lot of doubts. We're a Mediterranean company. We come from a hot country where, so we thought the weather and everything, but actually it's, it's a country that, or country, sorry, that adapts incredibly well to the weather. So, I mean, one thing we didn't have is Glovers who are walkers. Right. But it happened automatically there because, you know, in the center of Kiev in December, there's so much snow that you can't even get around with any, with any transport. So actually the walkers work and it, and it works extremely well. So, so things like that. Um, so we're, we're very bullish on, on Eastern Europe. Right. So speaking about uh, mobility, so what uh, means of transport uh, do you normally use then? So, what, we, uh, so we don't use any any transport ourselves. Um, right. So the, our Glovers, our, our, our delivery workers, um, choose their own platform. They're, they're freelance workers. So right. Generally, it's either bicycle or motorbike. But there's also in certain cities where distances are further and everything, that cars are very popular. So 
electronic scooters are mm-hmm. now becoming more and more popular, uh, especially as long, lo- the longer the battery runs. So that, that's, a, um, it's going to be very useful transport. I think it's very easy, very quick and depending on the city. And obviously I mentioned, uh, you know, walkers, some people go to the orders. So walking. So for you, uh, it doesn't really matter which uh, means of transportation the uh, Glover uh, uses. Uh, they would still get the same reward for each delivery. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we identify them because what we do right. with the technology is, you know, some cities have hills, um, some cities have um, further distances, and we tr- do try and optimize that. So maybe if a, if a distance was very long, then we wouldn't give it to a, somebody on a bicycle, mm-hmm, for example. Mm-hmm. And certainly not to somebody on a walker. <laughs> and uh, uh, speaking uh, still of uh, people, so how do you work with uh, your Glovers? Are they employees? Are they contractors? Are they freelancers? How does it work? Yeah, they're they're um, freelancers. They're all, you know they're, they're contractors. Generally, depending on the jurisdiction, we're in we're in twenty one countries, one hundred and twenty five cities now. I think depends on the jurisdiction, but in, in essence, they need pretty much three things. You know, first of all, working working. Permission and obviously to be a, a contract, have the ability to be a contract worker, freelance worker. So be signed up as a freelance worker. Um, have an eligible transport. So whatever it could be a bicycle, motorbike, car, scooter. And third, you know, obviously have a smartphone, which their, their app works through a smartphone. Um, and they can pretty much be working within 48 hours, 72 hours. So we already kind of have seen uh, where the love uh, to uh, gig economy has uh, driven Uber. And uh, we have seen all the protests, for example, of Uber drivers who thought that they should be considered as employees rather than contractors. And in some uh, places and jurisdictions, they actually uh, won uh, these uh, lawsuits. Uh, don't you think it might happen as well with your uh, your delivery people? I would I would actually disagree with that. I would, I would, I would say that the mass, and I'm not an expert on Uber, but it's just... I think the mass amount of Uber drivers would actually prefer flexibility and the model than to be in a fixed labor contract with a guaranteed number of hours and timetable. I, what I think their main protests globally are about maybe earnings per hour and earnings more than the model. There, I agree there are certain movement um, in certain countries protests about moving to labor, but generally My understanding is a very minority and very organized by you trade unions who obviously are not very interested in the freelance contractor model growing very quickly because their existence would cease to have any importance because they're very focused on labor. So um, I think it's, I generally think the main issues with, with Uber. So putting that to global, it's, it's very different because we're not, we know we're not a transport company. We're not taking yeah. But, you know, we, we know what our, you know, we do surveys, um, you know, 80% of our, I just prefer flexible, mm-hmm. um, earning the same. If you put, you know, earning the same, you learn the same as it. Um, 80% would prefer um, a flexible model where they can work when they want. They can take the orders that they want and, and have the same earnings per hour as a, as a labor contract. The way our Glovers use us is generally for this flexibility where they, where they're generally doing something else as well, but it's studying have another job, work on other platforms, many of our riders work, or use us as a temporary solution for income during a certain period of time. They've lost their job. They have no social security. They have no income coming in. They use us for three, four, five, six months. They have an income coming in, and then they actually get the job that they're actually aspiring to do. Also, we're very important for immigration, which which often have um, limited access to the, to the labor market, especially at the beginning. 
True. Um, and then we're, we're, we're very useful there. And we're seeing that you now that generally image users, they have an income coming in, can support their families and then they move, move on. So we're, we're, we're a gap in the market that isn't covered by traditional, um, labor model. And I'm, you know, and I, I don't think we're not, we're not replacing the labor model. We're actually covering gaps. Um, and many of the countries we operate actually have extremely high unemployment as well. Spain right. being that one of the highest in Europe, apart from Greece. So actually we're a very useful tool for people who don't have, don't have income. And generally they'll, they'll have a decent income. You know, if you want, if you want to put the hours in, if you compare to, to, you know, to a 35 hour, 40 hour job, mm-hmm. um, the income is relatively higher than if you had a standard job doing the same thing. So we have a lot of glovers who come who are in delivery, but under the fixed model with some of the big chains and working fixed hours, right. um, they have, they come to us and they have flexibility in there and more. So can you tell what would be, say, an average amount of hours per week that a uh, glover works? Well, I can, yeah, I can give you a good example. 60% of glovers work less than 20 hours a week and the majority of those work less than 10. Oh, okay. Got it. That's interesting. So yeah, I, I suppose, I suppose that proves what you, uh, what you were saying about this, uh, da- how the good thing work. about having data is it, you know, it's, it's there. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's all types. We have, we have glovers who, you know, who, who work a lot more hours that I, I think they work exclusively on the platform, which is fine. And they've decided to do that. And, and many work many years as well. We've got some of the early ones in, in Spain where we started the company four years ago. Um, some of the early ones are still there. Wow. And they're super happy. And sometimes I meet them because we met all the original ones in the beginning. So, um, and it's super interesting. They give you feedback and, you know, constructive feedback as well, you know, of how we can improve, how we've stopped doing things we did when in 2015. And so absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. So I don't really know a lot about uh, the market and the competitive landscape here. What is it like? Um, in, in Europe or just, let's say in the markets that you are in and in Europe as well. So what's, uh, what's going on? Are they like very, are there very big players or are there more like local players? Pretty much we're, we're competing generally. First of all, there's in, in the industry we have, we call gen one, generation one delivery, which are companies that just offer a marketplace, but don't actually control the delivery. So a good example would be companies like, um, Just Eat or Delivery Hero. Who have a model generally where, where, um, they'll offer an, a product, but they actually won't do the delivery. The, the store, or the restaurant will do the delivery. So they're obviously an old, a competitor who exists in the market and we're improving the UX. We're improving the, the users can see everything with us. He has visibility. Um, we have a guarantee of, of when we're going to deliver the order. Whereas with the other one that sort of, they get lost and they just don't know when the guy's coming and sometimes he doesn't come. So we're improving that. Then in, in Gen 2, which is where Glovo is with delivery, we're competing against a whole a lot of companies, generally fairly big, um, bigger than us, mm-hmm. um, big players, well-funded global players like Uber, like Deliveroo. Um, our competitor in Latin America just did a massive round. And m- most of these are 100% focused on restaurant food compared to us, so we ju- we'll deliver anything. So we'll do restaurant, we'll compete with them head-to-head with restaurant, but we'll also bring you anything else in the city, which is okay. so generally that's, that's the landscape, large players, uh, scalable players. And those are generally our competitors wherever we go. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, delivery hero is actually a minority shareholder in a delivery here invested in our last round. Yes. How does that work? Uh, uh, how, like how, how what, uh, what's the mechanics of having a minority shareholder who is also a pretty big competitor? Well, they're, they're a huge company. You know, they have a lot of brands. Um, they're all over the world. They've been doing it a long time. Um, and for us, I think it's, it's, it's a company that brings a lot of value. They have a lot of knowledge. 
they've they've done things, had successes and, and mistakes that we haven't done yet. So for them to have them, uh, you know, advising us on that and helping us develop a better business, I think is, is super useful. You know, and we have companies like Amrest as well, who are one of the biggest restaurant owners in Europe. They're a publicly traded company um, who bring us, you know, this restaurant industry knowledge. So we're, we're, we're trying to, you know, surround ourselves with people that can help us grow and, and, you know, and become successful and become profitable and, and can guide us, no? And, and, and that's why we look for investors and board members who really um, are more than just putting a check on the table. Does it also does it also influence the way that you choose new markets to enter, like not enter in markets where Delivery Hero is uh, active with its own brands? Not really. We're in a number of markets where we're Delivery Hero active, so it's not a question of that. And they've invested in other companies where we're competing against as well. So I think it's more to do with the advice and the knowledge that they have. Often they've been there and done that. So uh, a lot of uh, media outlets after the after the latest uh, round that you raised uh, uh, also wrote about the IPO plans that uh, Glovo allegedly uh, has. So uh, what uh, what is it like? What do you think of it? Uh, is there this plan? Is this plan on table? Hasn't even been thought about. I mean, we're still you know we're focusing on growing the business, we're focusing on you know making mature markets profitable while at the same time expanding in new markets. Um, it's really too early and it has, it's not even on the table. Yet. I mean, you do need money though. Why, why not just go to public markets rather than uh, looking for more private money? I think it depends on the maturity of the company. I think if you're in a state, a place where you actually are in a situation where you, you want to give three month reporting, you want to be in, in a place like that, then I think the business has to be fairly mature. Um, I think we're still in a phase of high growth and we're, you know, we're still super early on in what we want to do. I think it's, you know, we're still a baby. You are looking for more money already, though, aren't you? I think we said this. I mean, we've been saying this the last 18 months. I mean, we're, we're permanently in fundraising. We're tiny compared to the amount of fundraising our competitors have done. So we've got a long way to go. How many employees do you have at the moment? We have over 1,000, I think 1,100 right. um, worldwide. And we have 35,000 active glovers, uh, I think, last month and worldwide as well. We have, I think, around 15,000 partner stores mm -hmm. and restaurants. Yeah, I mean, impressive numbers in a four-year-old company, but but again, we're right at the beginning. Yeah, this is really interesting. And uh, since we are here in the Netherlands uh, now, and you are uh, speaking at the next web conference, what are you going to talk about? Can you give a taste? I think a little bit about the the acceleration. No, we're we're a company that's accelerated very quickly. We've you know we've launched in three, actually four continents, right, in less than four years. Um, I think about you know company expansion. Um, how we've done that, how you manage that. So what are the main acceleration and expansion lessons that you have learned in these four years? What do you think? I think, um, make, make quick decisions, be brave. I mean, don't, don't be, don't be frightened of failing. Um, I think, you know, a good example would be, you know, if you launched in 10 markets or 10 cities, and if you did have to leave five and only five were worth it, the value of those five is higher than what you've lost losing the other five. It's not been the case because we've never been mathematically like that, but that would be a, a good example. I think we've been a company that's executed very quickly. I think that's been key. I think if we just focused on, you know, building out a solid business model in Barcelona or Spain, and we just focus on that, we'd certainly have a nice little company, um, but that's all it would be. Sasha Mishot, co-founder of Glovo. Thank you so much for taking time to talk today and uh, good luck uh, with uh, everything, uh, fundraising, product and all. Thank you. Thanks a lot for the invite.
Now, this has been a one interview interview special, which means that this is it for today's podcast. I do hope that you enjoyed it. If you are not a subscriber yet, please do subscribe today on your favorite podcast app. And if you are listening to this on iTunes, please take a minute to leave us a review. This will help others find the show and mean the world to us. Tell a friend or colleague about the podcast and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by Sound pulse that's sound pulse.com please feel free to email me with any questions suggestions and opinions at andri at tech.eu thanks for listening enjoy the rest of your week and we'll talk to you in the next usual episode of the podcast together with natalie bye bye